welcome to the Winning in Real Estate podcast with your host and CEO of Align Ventures, Arnold Olshaneski. Join us as we speak with real estate pros about their experiences and learn the fundamentals of passive real estate investing. Together, we will unlock the secrets of achieving financial freedom by discussing proven strategies and building passive income through investing in real estate. Here's your host, Arnold Olshaneski. Welcome to the Winning in Real Estate podcast. As always, I'm your host, Arnold Olshansky, and joining me today is Justin Donald. He was referred to as the Warren Buffett of lifestyle investing by Entrepreneur Magazine. He's also the author of the Wall Street Journal number one bestseller, The Lifestyle Investor, The Ten Commandments of Cash Flow for Passive Income and Financial Freedom. He empowers individuals to replace their jobs with passive income streams so they can win back their time and achieve true financial freedom. Uh, Justin, welcome to the show. Thanks, Arnold. Good to be here. Excited to hang. Yeah, um, we're, we're glad glad to have you. Um, first thing, I'm going to jump right to it. There's something that really stood out to me, and I'm very curious personally. I know that by your 37th birthday, you managed to successfully multiply your net worth to over $10 million. Uh, in just under two years. And and then you doubled it again two years after that. What's the secret to your success? You know, I I think that um, the secret probably to, to most people's success, certainly to my success, is this: the people I've surrounded myself with, the people that I have been intentional about getting into their ecosystem, the people I'm intentional about letting into my ecosystem and and really trying to create, you know, just a, a space to live and play in that is at, you know, a higher level or playing a higher game than where I am at any given moment. So, you know, I, I really think it, it is no coincidence that I'm following a path that's similar to many of the people that I spend time with, right? So I, I think I'm inspired by and uh, motivated by and, and like, adopt mindsets like those that I spend the most time with. So yeah, I'd say it's relationships. Absolutely. And it's such a subconscious thing too. Sometimes you don't even notice it, right? When, when you're just around people, it just seeks into your subconscious that things they talk about, their point of views, what they care about, where their focus goes. And then all of a sudden you find yourself thinking about the same things and increasing your standards and couldn't, couldn't agree with you more. Uh, put yourself in that position and eventually everything else comes down the line. Um, you know, there's something else that I feel like we really share in common. When I was doing a little bit of research, one of the quotes that I kept coming across, and you would talk about this on, on your LinkedIn and YouTube and various podcasts, and, and that was, you talked about you got to stop trading time for money. And when I heard you say that, the fact that I've been saying the exact same quote in my mind for the past five years or so made me realize that you and I might have had some similar realizations. Remember the moment where that really dawned upon me and really hit home? Uh, do you remember yours? Yeah, I do. I remember being in my office, uh, running a business, you know, a startup business at 10 p.m. on a Friday night when my friends are calling and trying to get me to come meet up with them. 
they're all about to have a good time at the bars and out for a late night. And I'm still in the office, which I was okay with in that season. But I remember thinking to myself, this is just for a period of time. This is just a season of my life. And I'm okay missing fun things if I'm building something today that in the future, like helps me gain more fun things. So I looked at it as a time where, hey, I'm okay putting in the hours and the work right now, only so that I'm building it in a way that I don't have to in the future. I don't have to when I have a family. So it was really that moment where I was like, okay, I need to figure out if I'm going to be in this game of running a business, I need to figure out how to create the architecture to remove myself, have systems, have standards, SOPs, right? Just having everything so the playbook can be run by whoever is in. And as I scale myself out of the business, uh, I need to be getting my capital to work. Well, while I'm in the business and while I'm out of the business. And so I just remember in that moment, it was a big aha of like, okay, I'll put in the time today, but that's why I don't have to put in the time tomorrow. And so that was when I really started uh, systematizing my business. I eventually pulled myself out of that business. I bought my time back. I used my capital to replace. So I bought my time back with systems inside of a business. And then I shifted to finding passive income that covered my expenses for true lifestyle freedom. Yeah, that, that hit home for me in a lot of different ways. It actually reminded me of a quote. Uh, Gary Keller says this, and he says, what is the one thing that I can do today that will make everything tomorrow easier or unnecessary? So whenever I look at my life and there's so many things going on, it's like, well, what's the one thing I can do to make all of that easier, right? And, and like you said, right, SOPs, creating protocols, creating checklists, creating workflows. I remember a time in my business, I had seven positions I needed to hire and I had like 90 days to do it. We were growing so fast and I'm like, oh my God, I'm looking at my calendar. I'm getting overwhelmed. And I asked myself that question and it said, hey, instead of hiring all these people, why don't you hire an internal recruiter? So that's the one thing. Uh, so yeah. I, I just remembered, I remember that. I also really like the fact that you distinguish, you know, a lot of people, I, they talk about passive income and ability to replace your time, to get your time back. But in order to get to a point where you have a big enough nest egg, you got to put in those hours. You got to make those sacrifices in the beginning. But I think it's about, uh, I guess, maybe having that realization at a certain point where it's like, well, I've already put in all these hours. So why am I still doing it? Why am I still sacrificing all these hours for my family and my friends? So it seems like there's probably like this crossroads that people come to where they should realize, hey, why am I still doing 60, 80, 100 hours a week or, or whatever the case may be? Do you remember a crossroads for you where, where that point kind of came about in your life? Yeah, I mean, certainly. And, you know, a few things uh, about that. I, I live in Austin and so I actually know Gary Keller and, and I love that you're quoting his book. I think it's an incredible book. And, and one of the things I think Gary does better than anyone else is he finds a who for whatever the thing is and he partners with people. And by the way, he doesn't take best in class. He recruits hardworking, hungry people and trains them 
uh, and grows them into best in class. And so I'm good friends with the guy, Mitch, uh, who runs his capital arm. And, uh, and then uh, the author of the book, The One Thing, Jay Papazan, is a really good friend. And so we constantly talk about the power of systems, the power of passive income, the power of owning assets, like all three of us in, in you know, different moments in time. And so, yeah, super, super powerful. I remember, you know, first and foremost, on, on the time thing, I knew that my, my wife, who was a great teacher, was really restricted on her schedule of like what she could do and when she could travel. And, you know, it's a school schedule is pretty strict outside of the summer, you know, unless you're doing some summer activities. And so I knew pretty early we needed to replace her income. And so I knew even before my income was replaced, I knew I could systematize a business so I could buy some time back. Not all my time. It's, I mean, it, it takes... You have to have the right business, the right systems, the right growth to be able to truly remove yourself. Most people never get to that point. But I knew I could buy my wife's time back a lot easier based on her salary. And so, you know, my first focus was how do I buy an asset that replaces her income or a group of assets? I happen to buy a mobile home park and the cash flow on that replace her income in one fail swoop. So first for me, it was like, how do I replace her income? Because when her income is covered, well, now we've got time uh, together. Now we're solving the equation of we're on a little bit different schedules or we wanted to travel more, but we are restricted to a certain time that we could travel versus now we can travel any time of the year, whenever we want to travel. Um, so part of it wasn't even about solving for me. It was solving to allow us more lifestyle together to strengthen our relationship. And so... Um, that happened, you know, pretty early on when I noticed we were operating on two different schedules. I wanted to, you know, help her buy her time back. And then I knew I, I could get to mine at a later point in time. That sounds like a great strategy, especially replacing a school teacher salary. And I have more time with your wife and family and obviously more teamwork stuff that you guys can do together and accomplish more for the house. And, you know, to talk a little bit about the actual how, I'm going to touch a little bit on you know, you have the 10 commandments, right? That people should follow to stop trading their time for money and, and to create that passive income. You know, I'm not going to go into all of them, but there are three in particular that stood out to me. And the first one is you talk about finding the invisible deal. Uh, what is the invisible deal? What, what do you consider that to be? And, and how do you find one? Yeah, great question. And, and this is one of my favorite commandments, though I love them all for different reasons. But before we even dive into this specific commandment, I think it's really important that people get clear on what their investment criteria is. I think everyone should have an investment criteria. What do I mean by that? Uh, what are your goals? What do you want? What do you want life to look like? Instead of being in a reactionary life where you're putting out fires or you're so busy, you're moving to thing to thing to thing, and then you know your day's done and you didn't really have time to think proactively. Most people don't create time and space to think and life just happens. And then before you know it, you're at this point in the year or this point in the month and and there hasn't been time for like, what I like to say is like intentionality, like creating uh, a life on your terms. So the investment criteria to me is a way to help create that by solving for what are the things that you want in your investments? What are the things that you need to solve for financially? And, and how can you make it an easy no? 
most people go into an investment and say, yes, I want to do it unless I can find reasons why no, I can't do it. Uh, I've learned if you do that, you're going to probably make more bad choices than good choices. So I want to go into it and say, no, this isn't a good deal unless I can solve for why it is. And the investment criteria is just a, a quick filter that's like, okay, for me, cash flow is really important. So that's on my investment criteria. Until I get a certain level of cash flow, that's what I want to invest for. Once I hit a certain level of cash flow, then maybe that investment criteria changes or that, you know, the overall makeup, right? Then I can say no to a lot of deals that are just private equity or long-term or whatever. So the investment criteria is really important to me. And so my 10 commandments are basically what my investment criteria was early on to create passive income and financial freedom early in life so I could enjoy my time on my terms, right? So invisible deals is just one of those criteria. You know, 2020, 2021, 2022, we just saw a bidding frenzy for everything, for every asset class. So like if you saw a deal that was on market, that was listed, that there was competition, there were bidding wars, you're buying an asset that's being bid up. I don't like to buy assets that way. I want to find assets that are off market, that have no competition, that I'm the only bidder and I can get it under value because someone wants to sell quickly or wants to sell specifically to me because we have a relationship. Uh, they like maybe what I'm going to bring to the equation. Um, so part of invisible deals is what are the deals that you can create that people didn't even know that they wanted to sell? You kind of helped put that uh, into their head and help create an agreement. There's no competition. But the other part of it is like future pacing. What are the things that we're looking for in the future? And more specifically, like what are the trends of tomorrow? Like today, we can look at the trends behind and say, oh man, if only I had caught that wave. If only I had known. And, and for me, I've been able to catch many of those because my goal is I'm looking at like what does the generation that controls or inherits the most money want to do? Like, what do they value? What is high on their list? So in the past for me, I was early on in some different investment niches, like single family home rentals as an asset class. You know, we started getting into that space before it was formally or, or just as it transitioned into an asset class that was actually tracked. Uh, mobile home parks. I mean, before it was cool to buy them, uh, before people actually wanted them, when people actually laughed that I bought them and thought I was crazy, like that was a good time to buy them. E-commerce, cannabis, hemp, CBD, like there's a bunch of things that I got into on the earlier side that really paid off because the trend shifted that way. And for tomorrow's trends, it's the millennials. They, they hold the key because the largest wealth transfer in human history is about to happen over the next 10, 15, you know, 20 years tops, but really over the next 10 to 15 years where baby boomers are going to be transitioning 76, I've read different studies on it, 76 to $100 trillion. Let's just call it 76 because that was the lowest number I've ever seen in publication. That's the largest wealth transfer in, in human history. So what do millennials like to do? How do they spend their money? How do they spend their time? And I think we can figure a lot of things out. There's always going to be something, some sort of buzz, some sort of 
you know, catchphrase, some sort of something. Like right now, it's artificial intelligence. I started investing in artificial intelligence like seven years ago, right? Like this to me is for sure going to be one of the waves of the future, but you're going to pay a larger premium today to get into it because now it is in vogue. And so you have, you know, bidding wars and high priced rounds for these companies. That doesn't mean it's a bad investment. Maybe it's just not as good of a deal as you could have gotten. It's not off market. It's not invisible anymore. It was invisible. Now it's very visible. There's a lot of uh, different niches and industries you were an early adopter in. What are some tips that you can give people so they could be early adopters and not go into Bitcoin when it's already at 80,000? <laughs> yeah, I mean, certainly. And, and by the way, the other thing is, let's say something is in the public eye and there is a lot of attention around it. Well, does it still have room to make a big move? So, you know, you said Bitcoin. Well, if you think Bitcoin is at its ceiling, then that may not be a good investment. Like you may not have a lot of room for gain, but you could still see Bitcoin today in its infancy, as I do, where I think there's a lot of room it to continue to grow, in which case you're still early, maybe not as early as the true early adopters, but there's still a lot of meat on the bone. So for me, like right now, we're in a market where there's a lot of down rounds and there's a lot of companies hurting where you can find some good sales. I mean, I, I like buying second, you know, employee secondaries where I can get those at a price that is lower than the last valued round, maybe even than the last couple that, you know, rounds. And it's still a win for the employee because they're way up from, you know, when they got issued these shares. So that to me makes sense where I could get a discount on a company that is, in many cases, very profitable. And if I only see that company willing, you know, with the ability to grow, I don't know, let's say I invested a company at 100 million and it only has the ability to grow to 150 million. Well, there's still some room for return, but that's not as great as if it can grow to a billion or 10 billion, right? So now there's a lot of, a lot of opportunity. You're, you're on the earlier side than the later side. So I like looking at all these things that way and think about what the legislation is looking at today. You know, I think cannabis still has a lot of room to grow because it's not federally legal, but there are other plant medicine with medicinal purposes that the door can open. Like we're already seeing uh, federal legalization on a lot of things. So like those markets, I'm not saying that this is necessarily a good investment. And some of these might be contradictory to, you know, people's beliefs, right? But I think being clear on, on where you stand there and saying, hey, this is pretty early for this. This was, you know, brand new. Like I know a lot of people that made great money on the cannabis side of things as it legalized in a bunch of states, but it's still, you know, the minority of states. So there's still plenty of room to grow. No pun intended there. But there's, there's a lot, like technology is just doubling uh, at a really rapid clip. So anything in that space, I mean, I love investing in technology. Um, so th those are just a few areas. But again, pay attention to the behaviors of the millennials because that's going to be it. Here's a trend that you will see is that uh, millennials don't drink as much like alcohol, right? So what 
for many years has been a mainstay may not be a mainstay. But what are millennials doing? How do they spend recreational time? What are the things that they like to own? Where do they like to live? What are the regions that they want to live in? I mean, I like to look at trends for what states are having mass exodus and what states are having the major influx. I mean, I just watched a documentary on Texas and how it's the eighth largest economy in the world. And the influx of people in many of the markets, to me, like it is reaffirming my position that Texas is a great market to invest in. And this could even be from the standpoint of like mom and pop businesses. Like if you got baby boomers that are retiring, some of them don't even know they can sell their business. Their kids don't want to take it over. Uh, so they're either going to sell it or they're just going to close it. In many cases, they're just going to close it and you can get a great deal and buy it. And you can get a deal of seller finance, no money down. And I know tons of people that are doing that. And I've done similar deals like that. So the opportunities are endless. Absolutely. I think the biggest takeaway that I got from everything that you said is you got to carve out thinking time, quiet, quiet thinking time, right? Because when you're always in the hustle bustle, always trying to get a task off your to-do list or whatever the case may be, you, you don't have that time to sit down and ask some of those questions uh, like, what are millennials doing? Where Where are things trending? So kind of, it seems to me, at least my takeaway is to better try to pace for the future, you sometimes have to take a step back and, and really go into that kind of thinking space in order to be able to see some of these things that other people might not be seeing. That's right. hundred uh, percent. I mean, I, I actually got that specific strategy. If you look at my calendar on Fridays, I have sync time for two hours. It is a technology free time. My technology is off. And this has been a habit for many years. Thanks to, you know, really some relationships that uh, have modeled this really well for me. And in fact, Keith Cunningham is, is the guy that I originally took this from. I mean, he shared this years ago. I'm, now it's in his most recent book, uh, The Road Less Stupid. But he outlined this whole idea that I have been using for, I don't know, when did I learn about it? Over a decade ago, I learned about it, you know, when I met him. And it's been maybe the single greatest game changer. I mean, between that and carving out time to meet one new person that knows something that is an expert or has uh, sophistication in an area that I want to learn and grow in once a week, one meeting once a week at a minimum, which I've done now for over 20 years, I think between think time and creating the consistency of meeting one smarter person than me, uh, at least in some area of life. Those two things are probably two of the most important things, biggest moves I've ever made. Yeah, I, I could attest to that. It's it's funny you bring up Keep Cunningham. Man, that guy's one of my favorites. I used to I used to be part of uh, Tony Robbins' uh, group. I used to go to all the events. He was a big speaker there, and he would talk a lot about thinking. It also reminded me of, um, I think, a little trick. I believe it was Thomas Edison when he would be stuck on an idea, and, and he just couldn't make a breakthrough, he would sit down with some type of um, like a metal object in his hand and just sit in the chair thinking until like he fell asleep and the thing would drop and wake him up and the idea would just come to him. Uh, so there's so so much of that, but I actually used to have that Friday schedule as well. But um, it's a very, very powerful tool that is, you know, sometimes forgotten about, I guess, when we get so busy with the day to day. But, you know, also I, I want to touch a little bit on 
uh, Commandment 7, um, which is titled Plus the Deal, you know, and, and that talks about how to optimize the deal, right, to, to lower the risk and increase returns, which I think most people listening to this are, is what they're after. Is there an example where you plus the deal um, in, in your personal experience? Maybe that could give some inspiration to, to how people can do theirs. Sure. I mean, there's, there's a lot of ways to, um, you know, look at, you know, plussing the deal, adding value to the deal. How do we make a, a good deal even better? Let's make it, let's find a way to make it a little better. So let's look at this from both sides of the equation. It could be de-risking the deal. Like how do we de-risk it more? And it could be adding some sort of perks to the deal, right? So it could be anything in between there. So from the standpoint of like de-risking, I mean, I've asked for additional collateral before. I have uh, been removed from personal guarantees, even when getting money from a bank, negotiating personal guarantees to fall off uh, at a certain point in time, you know, getting a personal guarantee on the other end. I mean, there's just a lot of ways that you can de-risk a deal. But uh, on the plussing the deal, I mean, there are different things that you can do to, to make the deal uh, a sexier deal. And maybe that is partially like creating some cash flow today. So you have some utility today. Maybe part of that is uh, getting principal back quickly or getting a portion of that principal back quickly. Uh, maybe it is um, negotiating additional equity for free above and beyond what you have already gotten. Maybe it's taking an equity deal and adding a debt component to it. So uh, you get all of the equity that you would have gotten had you rolled it all in as equity, but you have a percentage of it that's debt that kicks off at a faster period of time or that has a coupon. Then you're getting some sort of interest payments. So, I mean, there's a lot of ways to structure it. And even in the whole philosophy, like when I look at the velocity of money, like I want to get money back as quickly as possible because I can recycle those dollars, right? So, so how do I de-risk a deal? Well, if I make an investment, I get all my money back inside of a year. That's a pretty good de-risking of a deal. And I've done that many times. I've done that in, you know, partnership with people where I say, okay, let's, let's create some sort of an accelerated distribution schedule. Uh, so maybe our partner, you know, I've got a 50-50 partner, but I put in all the money or most of the money. So maybe I set up the operating agreement to say, until my initial 100K or a million dollars, whatever amount I put in, until that's paid back, maybe it's a 90-10 split. So I get 90% of all distributions until my initial capital is paid back. Then it reverts to 50-50. So there's a lot of different structures, a lot of different strategies. I'm just always trying to make the deal a win on both ends of the equation, but it has to win for me too, right? It can't just win for the other person. So my goal isn't, it's not zero sum. It's not, how do I make the deal so good for me that it's bad for you, Arnold? That's not the way I do it. I don't need to wring the rag dry and, and optimize every nth degree out of it. But I do need to make sure that it works for me and I want to get the best deal I can that works for me while making sure you still have a good deal. Why? Because I want to do more business. If we find out we're compatible, I want to be able to do another deal. And because of the way I structure deals, I get all kinds of repeat business. I have some people that have been back for two, three, four, five, six deals 
with me and it's because they win also. Reminds me of a core philosophy of mine that I got from Stephen Covey uh, in the seven habits of highly effective people. If it's not a win-win, it's a lose-lose. You know, and, and when you start looking at deals that way, even when you start analyzing what's in it for the other party, are they getting enough value? Then you could have a little more certainty in, in the transaction because you see the upside for both people. So it's a great mentality to have also for the longevity of your career, you know, and, and thinking long-term. Um, and, you know, I, I guess this also ties in kind of to commandment six, which, which talks about deal amplifiers, you know, and then you talk about, you know, negotiating preferred terms and, and side agreements. And these are just, I guess, more examples of different things people can, can do in order to plus the deal. So it seems like commandment six and commandment seven will kind of could merge with each other a little bit. Yeah, there's definitely overlap. Commandment six to me, so you got commandment two, which is de-risking the deal. You've got commandment six, which is amplifying the deal. And then you got commandment seven, which is like, hey, let's find another way to like find just some extra value that's sitting out there that maybe hasn't been brought to the table yet. And it can be anywhere in the equation. You know, I mean, commandment six, all the time when I do investments, I'm able to, you know, like with, with my mastermind, with the Lifestyle Investor Mastermind, we generally show up with like pretty large investment sums collectively as a group. So we get all kinds of discounts and fee reductions and better class of shares, uh, for example, uh, where we're getting, you know, better splits, better waterfall, better preferred return. And all these things are negotiable. I mean, a lot of these things will just get in a side letter that says, hey, for lifestyle investors or for, you know, and, and before I had the group, you know, it was just for me, I was negotiating these things and I would bring some friends in and uh, it eventually, you know, blossomed into this awesome mastermind and, and community where we do all kinds of deals together. Um, but we're getting all kinds of preferred treatment, uh, you know, on deals that, first of all, most people don't even know exist. And then secondly, we're getting amazing terms to get in the deals. And so I just wanted to share a bunch of the mechanics that we use to be able to accomplish that mission. Oh, that's great. Yeah. To, to have a group like that and, and be able to accomplish the economy of scale. Sounds like a great group to be a part of, um, which something I'm going to get into, into my closing questions in just a little bit. You know, I, I'm not going to go into any more of the commandments. I'm, we're going to leave that for people that you know, find this information useful. I would highly recommend to uh, check out Justin's book. I hope we're going to have all that information in the show notes as well. I personally had a chance to review it. I found the information to be super helpful to me. And I feel like we've covered quite a bit on today's episode, Justin. Uh, everything from amplifying deals, de-risking deals, pacing for the future, creating thinking time, um, a lot of good reminders for myself and a lot of insight for myself. So. I really appreciate you sharing this knowledge with, with me and, and our listeners. And now, if it's okay with you, I'd like to jump into our closing questions. Sure, you bet. All right. So first is, what is the most valuable lesson that you learned in your investing career? Well, I think it probably revolves around uh, partnerships and relationships and picking trustworthy people to be in business with, picking people that are high integrity, even if the deal terms aren't as good, picking people that just do the right thing. 
that have a track record of doing the right thing, that also have a track record for success. You know, the last 10 years, you have had everyone under the sun that is a syndicator. Doesn't mean they're good at it. It just was really hard to do bad deals the last 10 years. But we're seeing a lot of a difference this year, and we will in years beyond because the environment's not as frothy. There's not as much uh, margin for error. So now you're going to find a lot of people exposed. So, yeah, I mean, I would say just really getting into relationship and partnership with high integrity, successful people that have done the thing that you're going to partner with at a high level in good economies and bad economies. They've been battle tested for 20, 30 years. Great advice. Um, And what is the best advice that you can give people to become better investors? This one's going to be peer group. Get around other smart people. Like who's playing the game of life and business and investing and wealth creation at a higher level than you and intentionally create proximity with those people. By the way, it might be joining a mastermind. It might be creating your own little networking group. It might be hiring a coach, a mentor, because everyone's a coach today. So as long as that coach or mentor has done the thing that you want to do at a high level, right, over many years, I just think being intentional with who you surround yourself with, who you spend time with that can help you become better, smarter, and that you just enjoy. And how can our uh, listeners reach you? Best way is to just go to lifestyleinvestor.com. Uh, there's all kinds of resources. I've got a podcast there and uh, I've got a book. In fact, there's a handful of different ways that, that people could get access to the book. All the proceeds go to fighting human trafficking. So uh, we're now at top 1% of all books ever sold uh, for the Lifestyle Investor. And we've been able to donate hundreds of thousands of dollars to combat human trafficking all around the world, which is cool. So you can find out more about the book there, the different courses. We've got an online course, a passive income masterclass, mobile home park masterclass. Um, but kind of what we're known for is uh, the Lifestyle Investor Mastermind. And um, the high net worth group that's you know really hard to get into. Uh, we've got a wait list right now, but it's, it's an incredible group. And um, you know what I will say is for any of your listeners, anyone that wants to kind of figure out how to take the next step, like in my podcast, my closing comment every week is what's one step you can take today to move towards financial independence and move towards this financial freedom and create a life by design, not by default. And I think about your audience. And if anyone wants to take that next step, they could go to lifestyleinvestor.com forward slash strategy and book a free strategy session with someone on our team to help them figure out what's another step they could take. What would be right for them in the moment of life that they're in. So many great resources and we'll make sure to put all that stuff in our show notes as well. Uh, Justin, again, I wanna thank you for your time today, coming on and sharing some of your insights, your values and your experience. And hopefully we delivered some value to our listeners and um, look forward to meeting you in person one of these days. Thank you. I look forward to meeting you and uh, I wish you and your audience continued success in all their endeavors. Thank you, Justin. Winning in Real Estate listener, thank you for joining. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a five-star review, share this podcast with somebody you think can benefit from it, and also don't forget to follow and subscribe. If you would like to become a better real estate investor, 
make sure to download the Passive Investor's Guide to Analyzing a Real Estate Syndication Deal. This comprehensive ebook equips investors with the tools to evaluate deals and avoid common mistakes, gain insights, strategies, and practical advice to make better investment decisions. Download your copy today at investav.com forward slash ebook, or you can find the link in our show notes. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action.